So when you say stay out of it, you mean no sanctions, no military aid, just let Russia take the portion of Ukraine they want to take? Yes, absolutely. Putin ain't woke. He is anti-woke. The Russians, people still know which bathroom to use. They know how many how many genders are there in Russia. Vladimir Putin isn't propagandizing your children into cutting their genitals off. Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Did he manufacture a worldwide pandemic that wrecked my business and kept me indoors for two years? Did nobody in the White House stop to say, you know what, if we're trying to show a brutal dictator that we're serious about standing up to him, it might not be the best idea to have our military chiefs cowering in pathetic little masks. I want Russia to invade Ukraine, and I want them to show what a bitch Joe Biden is. It's hard to make Putin the villain if you have all the facts. Today, we sent another letter to Vladimir Putin asking for an interview. We hope we get it. We also sent a message to the president of Ukraine. We would like that interview too. Now, neither one of these men runs a democracy. Both of them are tyrants. Ukraine's not even a country. It's just a corrupt area where the Clintons have turned into a colony where they can steal money out of. I identify more with Russian, uh, with Putin's Christian values than I do with Joe Biden. There's a direct causal link between Greta Thunberg and um, Vladimir Putin's dominance and being able to invade uh, Ukraine. Under the weakness of Obama and Biden, Vladimir Putin took advantage and he saw a peer in Donald Trump. The problem is not that Putin is smart, which of course he's smart, but the real problem is that our leaders are dumb. I mean, I feel like maybe we don't give them lip service this week, like you're saying about Trump. That was such a, that was the most dumbass thing to say. And not only that, it just proved this man is a fool. Right, you've got all your headlines and bits and bobs. I've got all my bits, yeah. Everything is done. Right, you're ready for show 56, Desmond. Yay! I can't believe it, Dave. Oh, God, heaven help us. Right, here we go. Heaven help us, I like it. Welcome to this week's Des and Dave. In America this week, sorry, Dave, we're, we're dispensed with the music. I haven't heard any music or any... Oh, sorry, you didn't have the sound sharing, my mistake. Oh, I didn't hear yeah, I wasn't really prepared. <laughs> There was me bobbing along to the music. Have you never noticed that the music that you hear is not cut in the same place as the music that ends up on the podcast? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, th- all right. This show, I'll do the same point so that it's th- the same for you then. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Show 56. Here we go. Welcome to this week's Des and Dave. 
In America this week, global sanctions hit Russian economy. The ruble value plummeted to less than one US cent on the 2nd of March. Germany and the European Union increase Russian sanctions. The Ukraine war should encourage the world to accelerate the switch to renewable energy, says UN Secretary General. FIFA and the UEFA ban all Russian clubs and national teams. Former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko says Ukraine met Russians with Molotov cocktails, Bandera smoothies, and January 6th committee lays out potential criminal charges against Donald Trump. The world continues to unite against the war in Ukraine, with President Zelensky calling on Ukrainian citizens to go out and drive evil out of their cities. All that and more. From Des and Dave. It's a beautiful thing. Well, a good lord. You like a fini and a bathroom song. And I want it all. I want a cocktail with a silly straw. I want to post some best news. I want to sing songs with the troubadours. I want to write poems for you. You like a 56 poster. I think I saw you on a dirty poster. Hello, Des. Hello, Dave. Well, we've made it. 56. Yes. Sadly, we didn't think we'd be here in the world, eh? No, absolutely not. All the not. madness going on. Like This is, yeah, war on Europe's doorstep. And it's two weeks, almost. And the Ukrainians still have not been taken over. They are fighting. No, hard. they are hanging on in there. But the global sanctions has began to hit the Russian economy very badly. And uh, Dalip Singh, Biden's deputy national security advisor for international economics, says that global sanctions has severely hit the Russian economy. And uh, it estimates that the value of the Russian ruble has plummeted to less than one US cent on the 2nd of March. And we've got a short audio. You know, Ari, these, these sanctions can always be escalated. We're never out of tools in our toolkit, but let's just explain what we did over the weekend. It's important for your listeners to understand. When you de-swift an institution, what you're doing is you're preventing it from sending messages to other banks in the world to make a payment or receive a payment. It can still use a fax machine, it can still use a phone call, but it is sending that institution back to the 20th century. When you sanction a Russian, when, you, when we sanction the Russian central bank, what we're doing is we're saying there's $630 billion of foreign reserves 
uh, are no longer so impressive. They can't be used to support the ruble uh, because no U.S., U.K. or European institution is allowed to transact with it. And that's why the ruble went in freefall. As you said, it lost 30 percent of its value today. It's worth less than a penny. That's going to lead to surging inflation in Russia, a reduction in purchasing power and a deep economic recession. It's a raw deal for the Russian people. And we expect it's ultimately going to change his strategic calculus. It's not just the sanctions, there's it's the amount of businesses and corporations that have also pulled out, you know, the BP selling their share in this, uh, the IKEA has closed in Russia, the clothing outlets, the Prada, like all sorts, like Visa and MasterCard have now pulled out. So, you know, there's loads of Russians in Moscow trying to get on their metro in the morning and beep their phone and no longer it works. And uh, they're having to scramble for cash. And like you said, the uh, in the piece, the the ruble has fallen through the floor. So, you know, lots of the commentators I've been listening to, they keep saying this is the way to get Putin to heal, is to bankrupt him, basically. But at the moment, he's still receiving payments. I say he, the Russians are still receiving payments for oil and gas. And I think Italy solely relies on them for its gas supply, and Germany obviously quite a significant amount. What do you think Putin wants, Dave, from all of this? What is, what, what is he trying to do? People saying he's trying to turn back the clock. He wants to reset it back to the Soviet Union before its complete collapse in 1990. You know, that's the time period he wants before Ukraine voted for independence in a 91% referendum that voted yes to independence back in the early 90s. So, you know, he doesn't recognise Ukraine is what people say, but this is... Did you see he had the Aeroflot flight crew? It was all the women from the Aeroflot flight crews, even though they're all about to suspend all their flights because they can't fly anywhere because no one will have them in their airspace. At the minute they are flying, they are flying. Basically, the way to get in and out of Russia at the minute is either via Turkey or uh, uh, Somalia. You can transit there. And where else? Uh, Doha, so in Qatar. And I think if maybe India, I looked, if you, go, you can go on the thing, look at Moscow departures. And we also know now that the US, the UK, lots of other countries, Canada, I've said, if you, you know, if you're a Canadian, US, UK citizen, get out of there. Your card will stop working. You we need to find alternatives. You know, we don't know how we'll be able to support you. It really is like a, an iron curtain, to use the old phrase, huh? That what's he going to do, completely bankrupted? And how long will that take? Because, like the clip mentioned, there was 640 billion built up as a... War chest. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But he can't use any of it because it's all in foreign markets. Very and smart, also the... It? No, but also... Exactly. But also the, the impounding of the ships. You know, the ship's not even finished. The two helipad ships that they I think is it in Germany they've impounded it like it just, <laughs> but for some reason in the UK we are allowing them six months to declare their assets it was 18 months it's being shortened to six months you think it's six months to ask them to list everything they've got that will surely give them time to shift it all about but it's interesting how the world has remained united you know you think about something like well, anyway, the, the the rich getting away with it and their tax havens and everything. And this has been known about for years, you know, all the all the Russian money that's sloshing around London. Mm. 
you know, all the properties that are allowed to be built. Because And why do they invest in places like this? Because we're seen as a safe pair of hands. Your money will be safe there. Well, guess what? If the law gets it all right, we got it now. We can put some Ukrainian refugees in their mansions, there's if they can navigate the crazy visa system that Pretty Patel's still hanging on to. These people don't get, read the room, do they? You know, they, they're at the party and, it's, you know, they've burped out loud and then wonder why everyone just looked at them. Like, it just... <laughs> they don't read the room. They really... Well, yeah. I ask our resident historians a similar question, same question. Um, what did does our resident historian think that Putin wants? And the response to that was much the same as yours, actually, which is the same, much the same as yours. And he says, felt that Putin wants to go down in history as the man who restored Russian greatness in 2020. However, he will most, he felt he would most likely be remembered as a tyrant and a failure who brought Russia to its knees and the world closer to extinction than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 1960s. And it's very much what you said. They're trying to acquire a former glory, which seems highly unlikely and what astounded me this week was even Singapore has applied sanctions against Russia. I was quite shocked. But nobody seems to want to be left out. Well, people Singapore. like to be on the winning side. And at the minute, it's, I think it's 139 countries at the UN Special Assembly. Uh, the one wow. um, laid down the resolution you know there was is it 202 or 198 i don't know it's around this number because you know human beings are always moving lines on maps but you know that two-thirds you know of the world's countries and some of those rely on russian support you know it's and, and also china's um well, let's not maybe divert onto a completely separate, you know, <laughs> separate. But yeah, it's it's all interconnected. We live in a global world, Des. Absolutely. And it's just it's very interesting. You know, if you wind the clock back to you know the time of the Second World War, you couldn't you couldn't necessarily impose the sanctions you have now because there was not the global interconnectedness. You know. Yeah. You mind your own metal. You did this. You did that. You swapped your tea bags and so on. And but but now, you know, beep this financial transaction is meant to cycle around the world. And even if you look at a map at the moment in time or things like flight tracker, so you can see where aeroplanes are on planet Earth and literally tracks mm -hmm. all of them. Russia just dead. <laughs> a few planes between their cities. So they've really been ostracized. And you do wonder, you know, with him trying to control the narrative inside of Russia, you know, pumping out the lie that, Ukraine has been overtaken by Nazis and they're being held hostage there. Some of the soldiers don't even know why they turned up. Anyway, he's now passed a law that anyone spreading supposed fake news, and who defines that? But hey, it's Russian laws. Uh, anyone spreading fake news can spend up to 15 years in prison. So the BBC, or most of the Western media have, have pulled out their journalists from Russia. He's banned all of the TV channels, as have we banned Russia today, which was only propaganda anyway. But it, 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 you just think, I wonder what the Russians now make of it when they realize, why is the shop shut? Why can't we get our new iPhone? 
where has all the Western TV channels gone? And the the social media has also been banned. Facebook's banned. Twitter's banned. YouTube is banned. But there is other apps and other ways around these things. And especially young Russians, as lots of the commentators say, they will be looking elsewhere. And the older generation of Russians will remember the Soviet times where they know they were lied to. This is what caused all the uprising and the breakup of the USSR. So you just wonder if he still is like making a wooden house and really throwing the fuel on it. With, and there's only a match and it's only him they have to take out. So, uh, <laughs> and as we've seen in Russian history, the revolution comes from within. But at the moment, they even arrested primary school kids, there's because protesting in Russia is illegal and so on and so on. And a bunch of primary school kids turned up at the Ukrainian embassy in Moscow and laid flowers. The primary school kids was arrested. There's images of them put in the bus, like primary school kids laying flowers. It was interesting to hear that Ursula von der Leyen, the European Union chief, how about that, Dave? Ten marks for getting her name <laughs> pronounced definitely, correctly. Definitely ten marks, definitely. She said for the first time the EU would be financing and delivering weapons to countries under attack and also would be sanctioning Belarusians helping Russian war attacks. War efforts, rather. And um, we've got a short audio from the EU sanction, about the EU sanctions. Uh, uh, There's a Russian report by Paul McNamara. The whole raft of them that have just been announced, most eye-catching ones, shutting down EU airspace for all Russian aircraft. This is Russian-owned, Russian-registered, more importantly, Russian-controlled aircraft. So any oligarchs with their private jets this is them. There's also a ban in the EU of the Kremlin's what they call media machines. So this is state-owned Russia Today, RT and Sputnik. Remember, government's already asked Ofcom to review RT's licence in the UK. And this is on top of a whole load of sanctions which have already been announced. So, um, so the first one, of course, is SWIFT. This is one that everyone's been talking about. For days, this is the secure messaging system so that banks can transfer money around the world. This is a big deal. 11,000 financial institutions are on this. Tens of millions of transfers every single day. Cut a financial institution off from this. You're not killing all their international transactions, but you're making it pretty difficult. Now, we don't know actually which banks, we haven't announced yet which banks are going to be targeted. We suspect there's going to be the two biggest banks, the Spear Bank and VTB. These ones that were already targeted by um, American sanctions on Thursday. Big question over Gazprom Bank. This is the bank which is really interwoven into Russia's oil and gas industries. We don't think they're going to be included because that would impinge on oil and gas supplies, which everyone's very, very worried about. Now, look, about a month ago, I was talking to a city trader about all sanctions and everyone was talking about it. And he said to me, look, the biggie is swift. Everything else is peanuts. I got a text from him this morning saying... I can't believe they've actually done it. Actually, the other transaction might have a bigger impact than SWIFT. So this is US, UK, Canada joint statement saying that they would block Russia's central bank from using roughly 630 billion pounds of stockpiled foreign reserves. This is like their, their financial war chest to insulate them from sanctions. This is going to have a big impact. 
Without this, Russia can't prop up their economy. They can't prop up the ruble, which has been tumbling for days now since all of this kicked off. Today, we've seen footage of people queuing up round the block in, in Moscow to get hold of any cash, any cash, rubles, dollars, anything that they can get their hands on. Make no bones about it. Together, these financial sanctions will have a big impact. So about 20% of Rosneft, which is a Russian oil and gas giant, Rosneft is the oil and gas giant that is fueling the Russian army. On Friday, the business secretary pulled in um, Bernard Looney from BP, saying, essentially, give him a bit, bit of dressing down, saying, what are you doing? Two days later, BP are divesting. Paul, thanks very much for that. Paul. But I wanted to very quickly say that um, that Germany has decided to increase its military budget to over 100 billion euros. Yep. And if it does so, it leapfrogs the UK, France, and Russia in terms of military budget. And it sends, and it's going to be sending arms to combat zones like Ukraine. But we've got a comment from a German MEP, Viola von Kramen, Tubal, to Badel. Well, I think this is a complete shift in the paradigm in, in the political arena in Germany. We have never experienced that reality kicks in and that uh, obviously the chancellor was ready to react very swiftly, very firmly and immediately. Um, I can only say that some of my colleagues were obviously also surprised by his proposal and we will see how everyone is going to deal with this. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that was the right signal to everyone in the European mm. Union that we are a liar partner, but also to Putin that uh, he cannot, uh, <laughs> I mean, or we need to kick his ass at one moment. <laughs> but also yeah. Switzerland, who remain neutral in the world wars, are also sending arms. Like, I don't know, do you think the West has woken up scared, Des? Have they realized, like, oh dear? It's on their doorstep. This is on their doorstep. And we've heard more this week, uh, towards the end of the week. We've heard that the Russian missiles, they've captured um, a nuclear uh, power zone. Well, yeah, well, there was that. All of us woke up to that beeper, fire at nuclear power plant, and said, oh my God, Chernobyl too. But fortunately, it was a training building outside that was on fire. But um, Russia has been condemned for like, why are you trying to cause a nuclear accident? Yeah. And, you know, the Germans are scared because they're right next door. Well, remember you know, the it's... amount Chernobyl sent out and they actually tried to lie about it at the time and say that nothing had happened. And, oh, yeah, it is worrying. But I like to think there are some Russian generals that are like, no, I like my family. We are not going to set off these nuclear you know, devices preemptively. It's, 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 it is, as you say, it's, it's worrying. Um, and, but an interesting comment was made uh, this week by the UN Secretary General, and uh, where he said that the Ukraine war should encourage the world to accelerate the switch to renewable energy. Yeah. Um, he says, fossil fuels are a dead end. He said that the conflict in Ukraine shows 
um, um, shows that that if we continue to rely on fossil fuel, it will make the global economy and energy security vulnerable to geopolitical shocks and crises. This is his actual comment. And he went on to add that a prompt and well-managed transition to renewables is the only way to energy security and the green jobs the world needs. And a quarter of the European Union's petroleum oil imports come from Russia, along with almost half of its gas. And so he said that the irony is that the European nations are effectively paying for the war in Ukraine. And, and this has not been lost on the continent's leaders. So the panic that Putin's actions has caused in energy markets has only increased the, the profits Russia makes by driving up the price that the Europeans are paying, or rather we all pay for energy, which is one reason we're already seeing a dramatic um, pivot, I suppose, to alternative supplies. It's, you know, in the fuel prices in America, the claim is that it's, it's driving up to 10, they anticipate it might be as much as $15 a, a gallon soon. So people are getting rather alarmed by, I don't know why America is so badly, so badly affected. Given, apparently they, I think they import 25% of Russian gas. Why? I don't know. Did you know? I mean, it's quite extraordinary. America. But that's what I'm saying about the global interconnected world. You know, you have the, and people, a lot of the West tried to treat Putin like a normal state actor, but is not, you know, and after what happened in the Crimea in 2014, and he was basically allowed to get away with it. And now the world has realized like, oh dear. And Zelensky, the president, well, I, I mean, he was born for this to quote another commentator, you know, talk about rally his population and all of them, even, uh, you know, I don't think you'd find in a country such a clear, clear majority that are fighting for their independence. And this is what the Russians are coming up against is Ukrainians absolutely dedicated. And I, I'm watching, you know, like all of us are glued to the news. And you see there was a school psychologist who had to get out of her house and whatever, and she's helping her a center for people to sleep in preparing mattresses and everything and as she's being interviewed she says she's basically screaming that there should be a no-fly zone and then says because if the russians turn up here i will strangle them with my bare hands you and you see the grandfathers and everything there was another interview with a, a journalist about her father there and her father can't walk very well and stuff and he said to his daughter but i can crawl you know, that's what they're up against. And and maybe it, it is the fog of war. We, even though we hear stuff, we don't necessarily know the detail and what's actually happening. And I just like to think that the Ukrainians are doing rather well at sabotaging the Russians at every possible avenue they can. It's their country. They know it better than anyone. And look at the convoy. That convoy has been coming to Kiev for days, that 40-mile-long convoy. And everyone says, oh, it's broken down. They've run out of fuel. The the Ukrainians have stopped several bits or they've hit it. Like it, it, It's still sitting outside of Kiev. 
I don't know if it's being used as part of the negotiation tactics. Like it's, it's very difficult to decipher. But like I said last week, I'd like to think most of the Western intelligence agencies are feeding Zelensky and his team everything they need to know. And maybe some of the stuff even we are watching in the news is a bit of fluff just to sideline it. Like, you know, they've got some really good technology that the West has sent them. Well, one story that seems to be in circulation at the moment is that the Ukrainians have strangled the oil and food supplies to that convoy, um, you know, 20 whatever miles away from, from Kiev. Um, we, don't, we don't really know what the reality is for them, but apparently they seem to have successfully strangled it. They're bombing them, shelling the supply trucks, so they don't reach their destination. And um, a lot of the soldiers apparently are, are in dire need of food and their, their, their vehicles are in dire need of petrol. They can't move them without petrol. So, <laughs> you don't have so solar powered tanks, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So it seems that, that um, th these sanctions, rather sanctions, these efforts on the, by, by, made by the Ukrainians appear to have had some value. But whatever it is, it's definitely slowed the Russians down. The other thing that's come out this week is, you know, last week we spoke about FIFA and UEFA banning all Russian clubs and national teams. They have done it. And, and even at the in, Paralympics. You, and you, at, the so Paralymp at the Paralympics, they say, okay, they can compete, but underneath the banner that they're, you know, they write the name of the country, but in the different way, athletes from wherever, as in that's like a difference there's anyway. I think it was less than less than 12 hours after they made that public statement. They must have had, I don't know how many phone calls going, we ain't going to compete then. So then they said, no, okay, they can't compete. And yeah, so basically everything. Putin has been removed as the honorary president for judo, like, you know, the Tiddlywinks championship, you name it. Like, and it's dominated. Every news story is somehow related back to Ukraine. Absolutely. And the Belarusian, as well as the Russian athletes, because of Belarus's participation in aiding and supporting the, uh, the uh, Putin, and 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 their officials are apparently banned from any organised international competitions. Well, there's also sanctions facing Belarus now because of their support and sending in troops into Absolutely. Ukraine as well. It's expanding. This whole thing is. <laughs> it's it's mushroomed. It's becoming enormous now. It also means that the Russian men's team will not play the World Cup playoffs next next month. Well, Poland has sponsorships refused. from the teams as well. Yeah, Poland refused. Yep. <laughs> and now it's as it is it 1.2 million people have left the Ukraine. And one of the really heartening uh, stories I saw the little clip was basically there are uh, um, in Germany the, there's a collection of locals there with signs saying how many people they can take I can host three long term you know like this kind of thing and basically the second a family arrives there are so many people willing to take them in off they go so there's more people at the you know airport and ports waiting to house somebody than there is people arriving at this moment in time and when wow. they interviewed some of the people they said well that could have easily been us and another woman saying, you know, 30 years ago, she was a refugee and she felt it was her duty to help. So those those kind of 
heartening things, you know, that we can see. I remember being a little kid when the Bosnian War was going on. I remember saying, like, why can't we just bring the people here while they fight? And then when they finish fighting, they can go home. And I remember my parents saying to me, it's not that simple. Well, it seems nowadays it can be that simple. You know, it can be. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's issues and it's definitely not easy crossing the border and leaving everything behind your home. But the stuff we've been seeing shows there is some welcoming support, even though that prick stood up in the Houses of Parliament and said Britain is full. By what measure? It's a green and pleasant land. We can fit many tents. And then there was that lovely guy on Question Time on the BBC. I don't know if you saw Des. They were talking about the, you know, the visa issue with Pretty Patel and making it difficult, basically. And I think it was in Norwich or Nottingham or somewhere like that. And the guy at the back just turned around and said, we've got some lovely places around here. We've got some caravan parks. Like, they're more than welcome. Like, it, it, it was so, I don't know, countryside folk thing, the way he said it. You know, it was so heartwarming. Yeah. So, And sadly, it is, you know, Ukrainian soldiers, civilians paying a price for this. But they are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their independence, their sovereignty, their country. One of the things I think was really also encouraging from the Ukrainian side was to see their former president, Petro Poroshenko, um, saying that uh, that the that the Ukraine Ukraines were meeting the Russians with the Molotov cocktail, which they which he described as Bandera smoothies. And uh, I think we we've got a short. Uh... Go on, yep. finish it. We you just got a short audio. We don't have food yet, but the arms is extremely important. We are very much appreciate the uh, javelin supply. We definitely need more anti-aircraft uh, weapons. We are uh, demonstrating that Ukrainian people and Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, hitting the Russian aggressor and stopping the Russian troops. We do our best. And uh, today, Ukrainian people demonstrate a unique unity and uh, important solidarity with the, uh, our American partners, our European Union and NATO partners. What we need more, we definitely need to increase the anti-tank, anti-aircraft, communications system, armored uh, jacket, and uh, definitely we need to find out the way how we, as a sovereign and independent state, can close the airspace, uh, uh, Ukrainian airspace, because this is extremely dangerous for us when Russia has an, a bomber, cruise missile, Iskander missile against uh, peaceful Ukrainian cities. But I think we reach very important decision when 70 military jets support 27 MiG-29 and Sukhoi-25 would be based on the airfield in the Poland, and uh, Ukrainian pilots can uh, make a battle with the Russian aggressor covering uh, and fighting for, for the Ukrainian space. We definitely need to find out the uh, other steps, but I want to thank you. I want to again thanks all the leaders of NATO, including the President Biden, uh, uh, Congress of the United States for the extremely efficient uh, sanction which has already hit uh, Russia. And can you imagine that the, we counted not on the sixth day, but we count on this, we have at 120 hours. 
and we are stopping Russia. Russia pay a huge price. It's almost 6,000 Russian soldiers uh, were killed in Ukraine, and this is more than Russia was uh, suffered in any war, in Chechnya, in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Syria. And this is just a demonstration that Putin expects that very next day after invasion, he will capture the Kiev. But at the same time, we now beating, we are protecting freedom, we are protecting democracy, we are protecting security in uh, Europe. And uh, he expecting that Ukrainian people will uh, meet the Russian soldiers with the flowers. But we met them with the Molotov cocktail, which we called uh, Bandera smoothie. And with that situation, we have a strong movement among Russian soldiers, which are simply afraid to uh, to enter uh, and to fight in Ukraine. We need also the coordinated action in the information campaign because no, uh, nobody in Russia will know uh, uh, about the uh, about the real figures of the uh, losses of Russia. And we have another initiative. I think that it is extremely important to see. One of the dynamics we haven't mentioned so far is exactly that, is the Russians and the Ukrainians have a shared history. It was one nation, blah, 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 back in the day. So it kind of is like, you know, England invading Scotland in some ways. Yeah. And the Russian yeah. troops are very confused as to why they are there, especially the conscripts that didn't even sign up for this in the first place, who thought they were on a training mission. They didn't even realise they are in Ukraine. But one of the other things, Dave, coming out of that was that from his figures, he says that they estimate that they've killed about 6,000 Russians. The Russian Politburo are claiming that they've lost 480 Russian soldiers. And further, if Russians misrepresent, according to them, misrepresents um, information about the war in Russia, they're likely to get sentences, sentences, prison sentences up to um, 15 to 17 years. Um, and they can't apparently claim that the true figures, and they claim that, you know, that, that anything beyond 480 deaths, uh, acknowledging anything beyond that figure, is fake news, and they will certainly receive a prison sentence. So it's all looking rather ugly. Well, Dave, I've got one more story to lay out, and it's probably coming back to the more domestic issues pertaining to America. And the it's an it's an exciting. I mean, you would have made world news had it not been for this. Obviously, the preoccupation with war. The House Committee investigating the January six attacks on the Capitol has said there was ample evidence to conclude that former President Donald Trump and some of his allies may have conspired to commit fraud and obstruction through his repeated lies that the election had been stolen. He may have misled Americans about the outcome of the 2020 election 
and, and, and his attempt to overturn the results. And apparently in a court filing in a civil case in California, the committee's lawyers for the first time laid out their theory of a potential criminal case against the former president. They said they had accumulated evidence demonstrating that Trump, um, that Mr. Trump, the conservative lawyer and the conservative lawyer, John Eastman and other allies could be potentially charged for criminal violations, including obstructing an official proceedings of Congress, conspiracy to defraud and conspiracy to defraud the American people. The filing also said that there was evidence that Trump repeated lies that the election had been stolen amounted to common law fraud. The filings disclosed that only limited new evidence the filing disclosed only limited new evidence, and the committee asked the judge in the civil case to review the relevant material behind closed doors. But I wanted to focus on one thing which was really, for me, an important. The committee said in one example that Jason Miller, and I don't know if you remember him, he was Trump's senior campaign advisor. He'd been one of Trump's closest and most valued um, uh, um, supporters throughout the, the early, the, the entire period of Trump's administration. But apparently he had met with the committee in a, and in a deposition, and he said that Trump had, had, had been told soon after the election day by their campaign data expert in what he described as pretty blunt terms, that he was going to lose. He was aware that he was going to lose the election ahead of the final election results. This is what Jason Miller, is, uh, Trump's senior campaign advisor, is saying to the committee. Um, so the suggestion there is that Trump was well aware that his, that his months of assertion about the stolen elections were false. And apparently Trump subsequently disagreed, said he disagreed with the data expert analysis um, because he thought he could win in court. Well, he lost, we know that. But there is an awful lot more that will emerge over the forthcoming weeks about this issue. And it's even uh, some claim there are attempts by Trump to flee the country if things get really very hard. And there's quite an awful lot of speculation about where Trump might go. And there's some suggestion that he will go into the arms of Putin and that he's likely to flee to Russia. This is totally unheard of for an American president, but this is some of the popular um, comments that are being made by some rather prominent people today. So, I'm sure Zelensky would let him fight for Ukraine's independence. <laughs> he can have the best gun. <laughs> One. <laughs> oh, dear. So it's amazing, though, really. I mean, but they, they have... They, they're I, think, I think the thing with the committee is that they've now... You know when you're watching films, the string lines 
and people are trying to work out timelines of what happened when. Well, what they've done now is they've got the whole string line. Yeah. It's one very clear string line. This one spoke to that. It's like Russian dolls. This one did, this one did, this one. And they've traced it all the way back to Trump. And it's this wealth of evidence around him, which isn't just he knows what he's saying was false. And the evidence is because he was told by this one, 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 by this one. Yet he continued to espouse lies. Yeah. And, and like you say, he thought he could win in the courts. And so, what's even more important is that his inner circle are all ratting on him. Yes, because and they don't want to get caught. They, they don't <laughs> offer the next piggy. Take this piggy. I'll grease it for you. Not me, sir. It wasn't me. I was just following orders. That's not necessarily going to help them anyway. But again, the committee is just going to let them carry on spinning their yarn. Spill us your guts. Tell us your secrets. And imagine what they know behind closed doors. Like they've already, they know what they're going to do. Of course, they're going to put an indictment in for Trump. Like they've, they've, it's, it couldn't be clearer, but yeah. Will the Department think, of Sodding Justice act? Merrick do Garland, think, I don't know. Is he preparing his margins? Is he correcting capital letters in documents? Like, get on with it. The midterms are about to arrive. And what I'm scared about is they're going to say, oh, no, election year, can't do anything. Well, this could be the end of democracy, guys. We're watching stuff play out around the world. Is this not a stark reminder for you? But they think about on a wider level. Think about the speculation that most Americans must be really, it must be brutalizing the, 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 the brain cells in their head. What would have America looked like today if Trump had won the last election? Some of his closest aides are saying that Trump would have allowed, allowed Putin to take Ukraine. Of course he would. He would have just said, you want Ukraine? Take it. I'm not going to put up any resistance. We'd have no NATO. Because Trump was committed to abolishing NATO. His close aides, um, uh, Bolton, his chief foreign advisor, has released that information in his book and also made recent statements about the fact that Trump was not interested in NATO's continuation. He wanted to withdraw America from NATO. Now, can you imagine today a NATO without America? These sanctions would have had no teeth. <laughs> they would have achieved nothing. So, you know, we must be grateful for this incident in history, which saw, and again, it's like we said before, with most with with dictators, they always get short-term success. They always have short-term, long-term doesn't happen. But this is the thing: and, the war has not gone the way Putin had intended, you know, um, for lots of a multitude of reasons. But you know, you think about Iraq and other places. The army fell. They ran away. They, uh, they, you know, they didn't want to fight the Americans. The Americans are coming. Literally, the Americans are coming. Run, you know, fire a few missiles and get out of there. These Ukrainians, nah. You, the, the grandmother, is meeting with her friends in the park to make Molotov cocktails. And like I said, the school psychologist, a school psychologist, says 
her words are i will kill them with my bare hands like there, there is a level of humanity that that's that's inspiration you can't put that in people's hearts you cannot no. command that from people you know that instinct inside like you know and it's horrible that human beings are in this situation right now but the only thing that stops us getting that involved they, is worrying that it's world war three who would have thought the Zelensky, Zelensky would have become a household name today who would have thought that well i think I also mean, he's he's part of the the greatness of the situation as well because he's been very articulate and he literally couldn't be more man of the people. But that's why I say, I think the commentators that said that he was born for this are right. You know, if he makes it out of this, he is a darling of the world. You know, yeah. everyone will want to be seen with him. Like forget uh, the most powerful leader supposed to be American president. Nah, ah, nah, ah, will be Zelensky. Everyone will be caught in Zelensky. Oh, look, I'm with Zelensky, you know, smiling, shaking hands. Boris would love that picture. Dave, but I you, think you're going to have to polish up your Ukrainian, Ukraine, Ukrainian, Ukrainian, because he may be our first um, interview following this, the success of <laughs> the Ukrainian. We will album. also be searching for a piece of him. Yeah, yeah. No, he's just been very, very brave. Very, very brave. Let's hope he survives, eh? Yeah. I still like his comment last week. I don't I don't need the lift. I need ammunition when the Americans offered to get him out. That's yeah. a good quote. Yeah. But again, I think he was called a hero and he said to in whatever to whatever journalist he replied and said, I'm not a hero, Ukrainians are. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's come true. if the come if the moment, come if the man. Come if the man. Well, okay, Dave, what's... have you got anything more for us this week? No, or shall I think we wait we, with bated breath. No, I just think that we, you know, our thoughts is obviously with everyone around the world that's, you know, in war torn struggle of not of their own making. Like they're just trying to live. They're human beings like me and you. And just think, you know, 12 days ago, these Ukrainians were the biggest problem was they run out of washing powder and let me go grab some at the supermarket. And the whole thing is coming for dinner tonight. And then all of a sudden they've been hiding in basements just trying to keep alive and keep themselves sane and all those poor kids there's and all the you know what a memory eh? yeah yeah i mean these true i i must frankly admit that i had no visions of a war-torn europe i didn't think it would happen in my lifetime um and the thought is unthinkable that for for the young, and it's actually going to be the young for the first time, particularly in 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 you know the con periods of conflict, who are, who could play and maybe will play an important role. They did it with Trump. They trumped him several times. I have a memory of Trump setting up a huge rally and inviting um, his supporters to um, apply for places at the rally um, by phoning in or, you know, whatever, in, you know, making applications via the phone and the, through TikTok or, or whatever social media mechanism, 
the young people basically just flooded. And when they, the Trump people turned up on the day, <laughs> they were talking to a virtually empty stadium because it, the young had, the young had, um, had booked to a lot of these seats, which they were never intending to, to at, a, at a rally they were never intending to attend. And it was, you know, they really trolled. <laughs> trolled um, and I think they'll play a very important role with this with Putin. Well, yeah. they're Hackers Anonymous and lots of others have declared cyber war on Russia. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Who knows? Another week is a long time in politics, especially in global wartime politics. Does what's playing us out this week? Well, we taken decided to take a much more reflective look at what is happening and suggest that the, the fighting and the hate really needs to come to an end very quickly. And we are talking in terms of love being in need of love today. Catch you next week, Des. And you, Dave. Good morning, our evening friends. Here's your friendly announcer. I have serious news to pass on to everybody. What I'm about to say could mean the world's disaster. Could change your joy and laughter to Right away, away. Hey, hey, hey.
Let's bring it down a little.